Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. I'm Dave DeFore, joined by my good friend Keith Parrish as we close the books on another summer league and look ahead to what's to come this summer. We're going to talk a little bit about rule changes and then the FIBA World Cup, which is the only basketball we're going to have for like three or four months. So, Keith, you're the Mr. Ref. We need to talk yep. about these rule changes. Finally, the NBA going after some of the most egregious acts that occur on a basketball court on a daily basis, the flop. Is Marcus Smart going to be any good for the Memphis Grizzlies, Keith? When you said the most egregious acts that occur on the basketball court, I thought you meant uh, trying to draw charges and undercutting airborne shooters. Um, No, Uh, you make a great question. Did the Grizzlies know that this flop rule would be implemented before they agreed to trade for Marcus Smart. I don't have the answer to that question, but I think I can get the answer. I think this one rule, among one of the two rules that the Board of Governors approved, I think it has its heart in the right place. I worry about its implementation. I saw this called one time in Summer League, and it was one of those plays where a guy got hit in the head but his reaction was to throw his head back a little bit extra and he got a technical foul. So the team that hit him in the head got an extra free throw and retained possession, which felt kind of extreme. And I didn't know, again, I haven't seen the exact wording in the rule book. Now is, was that a proper application of the rule? And so there are still, I guess a few questions I have about it. Well, let's kind of go over the rule a little bit. Um, I mean, it sounds pretty obvious. You get a technical foul if the referee's deemed that you flopped, but it's in the game live, which I don't know if I love because it's a judgment call. And, and, you know, we know that NBA referees haven't exactly been the best at judgment call. I mean, and not their fault. Human bodies that big, moving that I, fast. I, I it's can't hard. let that sentence just float out there. The NBA referees do a great job. They do. They calls, do a great job. All right, but, but they're I'm still they're, they they're make difficult. mistakes. They make and, mistakes. And I think you're making a key point that the problem with the flop is not that the officials are seeing flops and not penalizing them. The problem with flopping is it deceives the official, and there's very little the official can do if a player is flopping to not be deceived. So I am again, dubious that calling it live, they'll be able to spot it. Like if you knew they were flopping all this times, uh, all these times, guess what? Flopping wouldn't be a problem. The idea is like, Hey, that looked like a violent collision. I'm calling the offensive foul. Then you see on replay. Oh, wow. Marcus smart just launched himself into the stanchion with no contact whatsoever. This does not fix that whatsoever. I know they had the anti-flopping rule years ago where you got these like $5,000 penalties. They gave up. I do think flopping needs to be addressed, but 
I think this is going to be hard because again, it, the problem we're dealing with is not the flops that the refs see. It's the fact that the flops are deceiving referees. And I don't see how this fixes that. I mean, what's the, what's the solution? There is no perfect solution to it. Right. I mean, again, you're trying to deceive the refs and not just with flopping, but the, so, it, the it, solution, it like, well, the, the fines didn't work, Keith, right? right. It wasn't it, number one, it probably wasn't enough money. Sure. But number two, it's it doesn't affect the game because the flop, the foul still called, you know, so whatever free throw still still happened. Like it, it all it was after the fact. And so the win or loss has already been affected. I mean, would a better solution, Keith, be to, you know, maybe there's a replay official that deems something a flop later. And at the end of the game, you shoot all the technical free throws that I mean, you know, free throws at are the so end exciting of the game. We got to get more free throws in the game, Keith. You know, that's what I get from this uh, this flopping call. I mean, I wonder, I do think there's going to be a lot of painful moments where they get it wrong and we have these extra free throws and then extra possessions. And, and but, but maybe even with those accidental errors that are going to come with this, that maybe the players do start adjusting. I mean, frankly, I was dubious that the take foul rule would work effectively. I was worried we'd get more reviews. It would slow the game down just because players would still do it. The take foul rule was incredible. That that rule change was actually great. It had the intended effect of making the game more watchable, and eventually the players stopped reaching out and grabbing guys. So maybe with this penalty, it will eventually reduce the number of flops. I, I just worry that it's not going to do it. I think it's still going to be the thing where, like you said, it, we get upset about the flops that are missed, and this is th the flops are still going to get missed. I think a better solution, like maybe you don't find the guys, maybe you do something where – a flop counts for for your flagrant foul, technical foul points. It goes into that or some other kind of point system where if you have an egregious flop that they can say like, hey, you get four of those, you're suspended a game or something like that. Again, I don't know the CBA ramifications of where the league's allowed to su suspend you for on the court stuff because like the way the game is where, you know, you have to take charges like because the rules say it's beneficial and you have to accentuate contact. Like it doesn't get called like, if you don't fall down, Keith. Exactly. Like you can't, I refed high school basketball briefly and I called a charge on a guy where the defender didn't fall down. And I wasn't sure I was going to get out of the gym. People were so furious. And I was like, he slammed into the guy's chest who had legal guarding position. That's an offensive foul. Like he displaced him, but the guy didn't fall down. And so the coach is like going nuts. And I, that's the problem. Also with offensive drives, our entire game is, Offensive players driving to the basket, your James Harden's, your Dwayne Wade back in the day, you put the ball on the floor, you go into your defender, you initiate the contact as the offensive player, and then a lot of times you yell, you, you flail your arms, you throw yourself on the ground, every one of those things, hoping that it gets the whistle to give you those two free throws. None of those things are necessarily caused by the defender. It's the offensive player choosing to cause the contact and fall down. But again, again, those aren't flops. That's the that's part of the game, you know. So I would love to see, you know, me. We talk a lot. I would love to see an overhaul of the entire like defensive foul rules, offensive foul rules, like. Um, but that is not this. This is, I think, a small measure trying to get out the most egregious of like if you fall down away from the play and someone sees it. Then you get penalized. I again, I guess I'm still skeptical. It's going to be that effective. I'm also skeptical they stick with it. This feels like a uh, a November December oh, sort no. of thing. So then, I, 
and then it's over. I actually disagree, Keith. I, you okay. remember when the the point of emphasis was screening rules and movie screens, yeah. and they yeah. did do a good job the first like month of that season. But the shooting foul thing did stick. I, I do think that for the most part, they've gotten better at that initiation of contact, not calling that when a guy's oh. up in the air. And the, don't forget the the kicking the feet out that they were awful about. I mean, of course, there's a couple of times where it happens, but I think for the most part, they've just gotten better. And again, this I make this argument all the time, and I know that the league wants the refs to do everything by the, by the book, black and white, but not use their judgment. But couldn't all of this, Keith, just be solved by allowing these men and women who are experts in the sport of basketball, love the game, been around it their whole lives, to use their instincts and their uh, uh, understanding of the sport to call the game in the spirit of the game. No, no, you want you want refereeing to be an art and not a science. And I've heard it from Monty McC- McCutcheon's lips. This is a science. He wants black and white. He wants everything to be written down. And that's why it's hard. I mean, we like to emphasize a lot. Refereeing professional basketball is impossible. It's and so hard. And by it's the impossible. Way, if you've never refereed even like high school basketball, you do not realize it is it is hard even at that level. I mean, ref, by the way, there's a ref shortage in this country because it's difficult to do. It takes a, a, a lot of expertise <laughs> in the rules of the game. I, I would it say takes a that, lot of time doesn't pay well at all, at least on lower levels. So we're not developing a lot of good new refs. I don't know, man. It's, it, it's tough. Like I would say there's a referee shortage because basketball fans are unhinged and people don't treat <laughs> each other well anymore. Like, well, okay. That's a, that, to be like, fair. Like, okay, like yeah, the that's behavior towards referees is a reason why there's a referee shortage. The NBA does as a good a job as they can fulfilling this. They have a great pipeline set up. They're actually one of the reasons I think why, like if you watch college basketball, you're like, Hey, this refereeing isn't that great. Well, guess what? Once they're in the G league system, they're not allowed to work college anymore. Like, so like that is a reason why, Maybe we do have a shortage of refereeing. I admire the NBA and like the way they strive to keep getting better, to use technology, to serve the game, as Monty McCutcheon says all the time. I just am skeptical that we're going to be able to spot the great. Like you, you're going to know if you knew Chris Paul was acting, you wouldn't give him the call. So I don't, I don't know how like, like you're going to spot a couple, but I think they're going to get it wrong a lot of times where a guy falls down and you're like, nope, he got smacked in the mouth. And yes, he threw his head back, but like you get smacked in the mouth, you're supposed to throw your head back. Yeah, it's kind of how it works. By the way, would it would it completely infuriate you if I told you that I know of a former referee who cuts game film and helps players learn how to take advantage of referees? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. 
Well, that's what that that's what you're supposed to do. Exactly. That's like you, if you're an NBA player, if you're a coach, if you work for a team, your job is to do whatever you can within the rules of the game to gain an advantage. And if that is to say, hey, guess what? These refs tonight don't call that many moving screens. We're going to set moving screens. And it's going to say, hey, this is what looks like a foul. This is how the referees are coached to call it. So if you do this, you might get the whistle. That's what everyone's doing their job. The officials are going to work as hard as they can to get it right. Teams are going to hire people to help them trick the referees. It's the way the game works. All right. And the other announced rule change. And this one, man, this one's just obvious. And I'm not sure why they didn't implement this with the challenge system in the first place. But now, Keith, if you issue a coach's challenge and it's successful, you get to keep it. You get to use it again. Now, Keith, do you just get unlimited challenges if you're right all the time? Like, how oh, far no, does this no, go no, out? Sir. See, now no, that's, sir. You get one. Now, that no. seems unfair, right? You get two challenges, it seems, if you get the first one right. But why wouldn't you get a third? I mean, listen, I'm not saying referees are bad. I just, I just gave them a ton of credit for how hard it is to do their job. But if a coach is very good at spotting referees' mistakes, why would you take <laughs> away the challenge even on the second one? I mean, listen, they realize that it that it's weird for you to take away the challenge on a successful challenge. So a yes. subsequent successful challenge should fall under the same purview, thus unlimited challenges as long as you get them right. This is, I mean, this is where it ought to be if we want it to be right. No, this is where you have to balance your getting it right versus your entertainment product. This is why they got rid of reviewing all out-of-bounds calls in the final two minutes, it, which is great because it was miserable. It was a terrible idea. Just let the game go. So I think that's the limitation here. If you get your first challenge correct, you get one more. That's it. Um, and also on your second challenge, you still lose your timeout even if you're right. Sorry. They put that in the press release. They're saying as far as the uh, game flow reasons, they're going to take your second time out, even if you get two challenges right. I mean, I'm super excited, one, to see who's the first coach to get two challenges right in one game. Uh, my money's on Nick Nurse. He's been very good at challenges historically. Also, I'm excited now. Like This, this rule is not going to cause you to probably challenge a block charge call, or even if your best player picks up a fourth foul in the first half, you're still probably going to save this challenge for something obvious, something totally right. Because still, if you miss the first one, guess what? You're done. So basically now, if you miss your first challenge, yeah, that, that's losing two challenges. That's a double loss. So it's still not going to be like, I don't know if it's going to cause that many more challenges, which is, I think, something that they cared about greatly. They don't want more challenges. We don't want that many stoppages. I guess, yes, it's good for the advertising partners to have more commercial time, but I think they're more interested in making the game presentable. And so I think this is a, this is a good improvement, but also um, you already said you wanted the referees to be artists, not scientists. Uh, just let the referee work the game, man. It feels, now feels like it's your ball this time. Now, so Keith, we've talked a lot over on Nerder about yeah. challenge sort of strategy. And and for yes. me, it's like, okay, if a challenge, it, it, it should theoretically either put points on the board or take points off the board. The, yes. Or it's a sixth, fifth, sixth foul situation for a star player. But also, I think that there's a time component here, Keith, that that second challenge costing you a timeout should play into your equation if you're a coach. Number one, if you're going to challenge something, I would have windows 
where you allow yourself to challenge. And then if it's outside that window, you don't use it. And that's timeout windows. If this is a time when you're scheduled to kind of take a timeout, might as well throw the challenge out there. If you have a, a play that you might be able to overturn that you feel pretty strongly about. And that way, if you do burn the challenge, you burn a timeout, but it was one that you were going to take anyway. How you feel about that? Right. I I hear what you're saying, but I don't I still don't think you want to ever risk that challenge if you're not certain it's going to happen. If it is, you know, like there's you're right before the three minute mark of the fourth quarter and you know you're about to lose one of your timeouts. And then there is like a block charge play. Uh, it might be a play that involves points coming on the board or off the board or one of your best players picking up a fifth foul or something. Yeah, then you might do it, but you still got to hold that challenge in your back pocket for an out-of-bounds play in the final seconds because we know what those are like. We know it could be a fingernail there. When you slow it down, you're like, okay, we get to keep the ball. So still maintaining, keeping your challenge is super important. This is, I think, just going to solve in the second quarter. Everyone saw the ball go off a guy. You've already seen the replay on the Jumbotron. It's our basketball. Now I can call the timeout without worrying, oh, what if I'm going to need a challenge at the end of the game? So I, I do like the improvement there. And... Let's talk a little bit about FIBA World Cup. I know we're a little early because we've got about 40 days to go before yeah, the tournament yeah. starts, but Team Canada has put out 18 players on their roster, and I'm assuming some of these young guys uh, may not make it. But, Keith, I'm kind of excited about this Canadian team. I feel like their top five matches up really well with just about everybody. I, they're a little short on bigs, but how do you feel about the Canadian World Cup roster? I've been waiting for so long for Dylan Brooks to get on the Canadian national team, and I'm <laughs> and I'm so fired up. He's there. And he's no, no longer a Grizzly though. Now he's, he, he's Houston's. I'm gonna ride. Brooks. I'm gonna ride for Dylan for a long time. Um, the uh, the top of the roster, like you said, Dave. You look at the U.S. team. You look at the Canadian team. Which team has the best player? Is it is it not Canada with Shea Gilders Alexander? I mean, it certainly feels that way. Uh, I mean, I mean. You could ask, like, who is the best player on Team USA? And the players I would consider, I mean, I, we can just say, it's Paolo Bencaro, Mikhail Bridges, Jalen Brunson, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Jaron Jackson Jr., Kim Johnson, Walker Kessler, Bobby Portis, Austin Reeves. Ain't none of those players better than Shea Gilders Alexander. Maybe no. in a vacuum, I might argue that my guy, Jaron Jackson Jr., is the best player, but... He's not a shot creator necessarily. Maybe it's Anthony Edwards is the best. Like, I don't, I'm not sure who the best player is on Team USA. And the idea of them not having the best player in the tournament is uh, is pretty fun. I, mean, I guess they've been dealing with that a lot with the uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo world, a Luka Doncic world, a uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo world. world. Yeah, yeah Jokic yeah. world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um, – uh, but, but the Canadian basketball, it, I mean, Dylan Brooks, Lou Dort, Shea Gildas Alexander – Jamal Murray. I mean, they, they're I mean, Jamal play. Murray and Here's RJ the Barrett. Their guard play. FIBA is dominated by guards. I think their guard play is going to be hugely important uh, for this for this upcoming World Cup. And I mean, they can play Jamal Murray and Shea Gildas Alexander. Uh, they're gonna. I'm assuming they're gonna start together. No, I mean that is dream stuff. That's that's dream stuff for an NBA team. I mean, and both those guys can play off the ball. Like both those guys are, are are fine as like you know playing the one or the two. I'm thinking this like this Canadian lineup. If if all these guys are healthy and all these guys end up committing to play and, and make the final roster, like a Shea, Jamal Murray, maybe R.J. Barrett, Dylan. 
Allen at the four with, say, Kelly Olenek or Dwight Powell at the five, that is a fierce lineup for this World Cup. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And on the American side, I mean, what's your top five here, Keith? I mean, Anthony Edwards, I, I assume, is in there. Jaron Jackson Jr. Cam Johnson, maybe? Or, or, or I think, lean? yeah, I mean, it can go a lot of ways. I would say, for me, I would... Well, Mikael Bridges, yeah. I'd imagine Jalen Brunson and Mikhail Bridges are just going to be like superstar monsters for the American team. I'd probably go Jalen Brunson, Anthony Edwards, Mikhail Bridges, Jaron, and then like who's my fifth guy? Maybe Brandon Ingram, um, maybe Ben Caro just for his size. So like I think the U.S. team like are going to be favorites and rightly so, but it's going to be it's going to be tough. And especially like there's other, I mean, there's whatever, 30 other countries they also have to deal with, but like just the North American battle of, of Canada team USA, it's going to be all NBA guys. It's going to be super exciting. And like, you know, in, in a tournament format where it's like, where's one game, it wouldn't be shocking for team Canada to like blow out team USA just because like, if your shots are going in and you can put out a, a, a five man lineup, basically that, that I would say is, is almost even um, like, I mean, maybe the, maybe the overall talent level is more for team USA, but it's all about fit. You know, basketball is about fit. And like, I do think team Canada c- could definitely um, go on a long run in the, in this world cup. Are there any other countries that, that you're interested in checking out in the world cup? I mean, France is very interesting to me, although they'd be a lot more interesting if Victor women Yama was going to play, but you know, they've got some guys that I like. I mean, I, Nando DiColo kind of on his last legs, how about Slovenia? I mean, Luka Doncic, uh, could, could he carry yeah, them would, all the way through? I mean, it, there's always all those European teams that are so exciting. And basically, I would have to, like, check the rosters and, remi- and rem- remind myself, like, ex- well, it's like just one, which countries are actually in it and, and who am I looking forward to? I mean, Spain is always tough. And, like, you have Serbia and Slovenia, like you said. Like, those teams are great. Greece always normally has just some fun stuff. And it's, like, it basically comes down to, like, like which guys are going to play. And then it's, like, which guys get hot? And, like, you know, like three-point shooting is such a big deal in the NBA and FIBA basketball now that like anytime a team is just on fire fr- from the three-point line they could win but um I am I have totally like digested the Canadian and uh U.S. rosters now that summer league is wrapping up I'm ready to uh to focus on digesting the rest of, of the countries who are going to be playing and get fired up for this this tournament I don't know man Keith I'm really liking this Georgian team for some reason I don't know why but they're looking pretty strong um uh, I hear they're team. strong Big team, you know, FIBA rewards that quite a bit. Keith, yep. 
any other NBA stuff that that has caught your eye over the course of summer league? I mean, it feels again feels like summer league has been going on for about a month, but that's because I've been here the whole that's time. Right, that's so right. That's yeah. right. It's it's hard to tell. Yeah. Um, I think the most interesting thing for me, NBA related, is like we end basically the the entire season cycle with the wrap up of summer league is just maybe, maybe the unrestricted free agents who are, I mean, the restricted free agents who are still floating out there, like what's going on with PJ Washington. Why is no one interested in Ayo Desunmu? Like, I think that's kind of weird. And like, what's going to happen there? Is there still someone who's going to swoop in and do like, maybe work out a sign and trade with like the bulls or the Hornets or the bulls, like are the bulls and Hornets trying to wait them out for something like that is kind of the only, um, unfinished business that I can think of right now. Of course, I'm still a little fried from being in Vegas and then flying out. And now I'm actually in Eastern time and uh, my body's very confused. <laughs> well, I, listen, at some point we expect a James Harden trade or a Damian Lillard trade or something That's like right. that. And, and I, I don't know if we're going to get, I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon. I, I it, This feels like it's dragging out through the summer and, and do you envision us getting into training camp and James Harden and Damian Lillard still being in Philly and in Portland? Well, I mean, it's not like James Harden has a history of this. So, yes, <laughs> I can imagine James Harden certainly being in training camp well, in Philly. Wait, I think the but wait, but wait, wait, yeah, because there's okay. the, there's a the narrative that's going around where it's, you know, very uh, well, you know, Daryl Morey has shown a willingness to get uncomfortable. And I think the thing that keeps coming up, and at least with me and you, is that this will be two out of three uncomfortable seasons in the last three. Um, the Ben Simmons saga, obviously, which brought James Harden there and, and now James Harden trying to leave. You got to start thinking about Joel Embiid in all of this, and right. I'm, if, I, yeah. if I'm if I'm running that team, that's my major concern. How do I keep him happy? How do I make it so that when his time comes, he doesn't want to leave? I, and I don't think that they can let this get to training camp. I think you've got to have an idea of what this team is going to be heading into the season. Come playoff time, they they've got a brand new coach, so they're already going to be up against it from that standpoint. Uh, I just, I think they've got to do it and sooner rather than later, Keith. I wonder like what factors are going to change for these teams. Cause it doesn't seem like there's going to be that much extra stuff. And maybe it is Maury feels like the position he has to play the way he has to play his hand is just wait because the offer he wants is not there. Um, and it does feel like, it does feel like the hardened situation is one that maybe could have some kind of reconciliation even though if it's not likely so like again i can see i i hear your point i think it's very valid about like worrying about just the atmosphere on the sixers and wanting to make sure joel Embiid is happy but like joel Embiid is going to be happy with i think getting the best deal possible and winning i think the flip side of the portland thing is like you don't want damon i don't think you want dame around training camp like that just seems and see i feel the opposite I actually okay. think because I, I see Damian Lillard. I mean, Damian Lillard is has been a professional. I mean, a consummate professional. And and James Harden is kind of you know I, I'm not going to say he's done anything. James Harden's not done anything bad, but James yeah. Harden has certainly um, when he's not happy, we know what that looks like on the basketball court, and, and it's not exactly winning basketball. I don't think Damian Lillard's going to be on the basketball court and pouting. That guy is, I mean, he's a gamer and, and maybe, yeah, he hasn't won a title or anything like that, but you, you can't say he ever cheats the game when he's out there. Well, I mean, 
unless you're a, a rules aficionado, I wouldn't say James. I guess James. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like turn it over, man. If you're going to rebuild, turn it over to Scoot. Let Scoot do his thing. I mean, maybe Damian Lillard would not stand in the way of that. Maybe he'd be a good locker room presence and a leader for all that. Um, but like, it feels like, I don't know, maybe this is just my impression from watching this play out in the media and such. It's like, turn the page, guys. Like, let's just do it. Also, like, don't these teams want to be like, hey, man, do you really want to be talking about this in August? Let's just get it over with. Everybody go to go where you're going. Go to your offseason. Relax. You know, start planning on the next year. Um, don't drag this out. But who knows? Maybe we've had these trades happen, you know, any number. We had them happen in September, I feel like, where it's like, oh, the deal finally went down. So um, good luck, Joe Cronin. Uh, good luck, uh, Daryl Morey. And um, whoever else, Pat Riley, who are we wishing luck? Who's the third team in these things uh, to, to make this finally happen? The Clippers going to going to swoop in. I feel like Oklahoma City is going to get like draft picks. What? Whatever deal happens is Oklahoma City. Come on, man. You have the picks. Get some good play. Go get Pascal Siakam for fun. Hook up Shea Gilders Alexander. Let's go win some basketball games. You got Chet now. Let's not win 42 games. Let's win 52 games. Step up. Come on, Presty. Throw some picks down. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for not the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm Dave DeFore. That was Keith Parrish. Thank you for keeping it locked in to the Athletic NBA Show.